Hello, welcome to We Don't Talk About the Weather, political discussion that from the outside may just look like screaming and crying. I'm Adam and I'm here with Hugh. Hello. And we're here to talk about this week's news and politics. I've had a weird week. Yeah? I have to this week. I have had a bloke try and get me to join a campanology troop. Troop? Gang? Campanology, that rings a bell. Uh, bell ringing. <laughs> <laughs> fucking terrible, terrible person. That's yeah, great. Bell ringing. I didn't make that joke immediately. You said it on on the group chat either. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't justify that joke with an answer on the group chat. Damn it! That's um, why I'm but, so uh, unfulfilled. Not to do the joke again. <laughs> Go on, carry on. I've started meeting some some of the the dog people. Mm-hmm. I had a lovely conversation. Is this with, related to the bell ringing? Um, yeah, this he was. He has a dog. Ah, okay. Um, right. We were just narrowing. Um, he's like, I, it's, see, I've lived in Wolfenstein for a long time now. Yeah, like coming up on fifteen years. Mm-hmm. And it has changed a lot. Yeah. And you don't meet as many of the old kind of East Londoner, the kind of man who adjusts his belt a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and he has a whippet, and he was adjusting his belt a lot, and he was talking about his wife of Indian extraction. <laughs> and he's just like, oh, I miss this kind of, like, like really in-your-face kind of progressive-ish <laughs> yeah. East Londoner. Um, but yeah, being some weird people, some nice people, had a man tell me off about my dog. And about how I'm a gypsy because my dog was wearing a neckerchief, and then he pulled another can of cider out of his pocket, <laughs> and I was like, "Okay, I'm oh, gonna go now." <laughs> you met the king. <laughs> I didn't realize you met Prince Philip. <laughs> but um, yeah, so I, I, I'm tired from a lot of dog walking. That's what yeah, I do now. That's all you do. You just walk dogs. It's a nice place. It's a nice area to walk dogs, actually. Yeah, loads of forests and parks and. Mainly forests, but <laughs> yeah, it's it's really nice. It's making me very happy. Um, but yeah, yeah, but other than that, wrestling. Yeah, a lot of wrestling this week. Yeah, won't talk about that. <laughs> but on the plus side, I'm really happy. Like there was a lot of big things that happened that made me very happy with the state of Japanese wrestling. Yeah. Um, as you know, as far as deciding whether I'm happy or not based on the performance of a Japanese wrestling company, it's like it's not that healthy. Um, but very happy that. Even though I quite like him, that revolting Essex boy lost his title to the beautiful, kind of pansexual, precocious toddler. <laughs> he's which, a beautiful Hiromu Takahashi. If you haven't like checked him out and you're a wrestling just fan, just look at him. He's fantastic. Don't even need to be a wrestling fan. Just look at him. He's just yeah. amazing. <laughs> but yeah, and um, and then the rest of the news just just depresses me. Um, I have not been kind happy. of in a. I, has, I saw Kim Jong-un's a... Jinkos today. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh, his, uh, his huge trousers. Yeah, he wears Jinkos. Yeah. He wears Jinkos. Um, he, I noticed him, there was no shot of him from the back, where I'm pretty no certain... No camera could hold him. Mate. There would have been a corn patch on the back. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, he's, I bet you he's got a custom he, skateboard. He grew up in the West, didn't he? So yeah, naturally. He's about our age <laughs> well, as well. Switzerland. Yeah. <laughs> Still counts. Switzerland have, did Switzerland have like a massive... Burgeoning new metal scene. Yeah. If he's a bit uh, younger than us as well. He's like 27, 28. No, no, he's about the same age, I think. Thirty-one. Is he? I think so. Yeah. Mm. Um, yeah, that happened today. The the Trump Kim summit. Yeah. Which was awesome and edifying for all the reasons you might imagine. Liberals going mad about. Mm-hmm. Oh my God! You disgrace. Listen to the, LBC having. Um, you disgrace like, the office like, by doing something that you encourage all presidents to do. Yeah. And all people to do, which is sit down and talk about things. I'm not so naive to think as as if it's like. Anything other than a weird power politics entirely driven by, you know, the contrarian, mm. inconsistent nature of the giant toddler man. Mm. But, like, come on. 
Yeah. It's um it's a bit rich when you have people complaining and it's like well, Saudis. Mm. Um someone but there, did, there was someone did post something today about um excuse me, sir. Uh, oh, fucking uh, excuse hell. me, sir, sir. Excuse me. A real president never meets with dictators, and it's like Ronald Reagan met with tons. They all he do. met with a Guatemalan guy who somebody actually like as uh, a I can't remember what the book is. Um, he met with the Guatemalan Rios Mont at the same time as Mont's troops were like bayoneting villages and punching women in the village in the village and stomach to make sure they miscarried. Yeah, sounds about right. It's like- and it's like. No, you you are you are literally just looking at it as like the this is the person who you've this is the particular dictator you've been directed to hate. There was um it was quite funny. I was listening to LBC a lot today and listening to them first off refer to North Korea as Stalinist, which it isn't. Um, yeah, Juju ideal. Yeah, um, it's like you know at least get your broken, deformed versions of socialism right. Yeah, <laughs> um, and then. Get it's like, I know it sounds it's going to sound pedantic, but getting a work camp, a concentration camp, and a re-education facility mm. all mixed up, um, and it's like to be honest, I don't want to be in any of them. Yeah. Um, but still, they are different things. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's brilliant though because LBC does have some people fighting the good fight, and by fighting the good fight, I mean phoning up to defend North Korea. Nice. <laughs> Which is always really great when you've got some, and it was brilliant because it was Sheila Fogarty mm-hmm. having to deal with someone who was like a full blown like an old lefty. Ooh. Like an old, old left-wing man phoning up to talk about... It's like, well, you're going to talk about North Korea? Let's talk about the atrocities of America. And he just goes on and on and on. And, he start, and he's like defend, he's defending Kim Jong-un and defending um, Kim Il-sung's achievements. It's like, oh, God bless you all. Um, yeah, that makes, me, that makes me quite smiley, actually, when that kind of thing happens on LBC. But also I have to listen to James and fucking Brian. I need to stop doing that. I need to... What can I, listen, what can I do in the morning now? Do I listen to... Do I listen to do Nick what Ferrari? I do. Listen to Radio Three. Why? No talk. Okay, there is that. Um, but it's like I turn on like Good Morning Britain, and oh my god, yeah, it's not good. I can't. I I didn't even watch Good Morning Britain. I used to watch BBC Breakfast. Oh, that's morning, appalling. And that well. drove me up the fucking wall. Mm. I moved from to LBC for a while, which definitely gets you going in the morning. <laughs> but you can't do anything. I can't like fucking open my wallet to get my my oyster out. Yeah, I can't find my keys yeah. if there is a single thing wrong like <laughs> windows are being smashed and I moved on to Radio 4 and that was somehow worse mm. because they pretend like they're better than it just because they're in a suit John Humphreys the other day mm. I didn't listen to it but I did see it on uh, Twitter John Humphreys had an interview of Rupert Everett Ooh. where um, he ended the um, interview by saying do you think uh, at any point in your lifetime there'll be an interview where the fact that you're gay doesn't come up and it's like, how fucking old are you? Yeah. And also, you're the interviewer. Yeah. Don't ask him. Yeah. <laughs> oh. And especially if Rupert Everett, because Rupert Everett... And also, um, Rupert Everett coming out was, I, I seem to remember, quite like important for visibility. It and has like, done very bad things to his career. That's a, we're not saying, it, not saying that he shouldn't have come out. It's, um, yeah, of, course, it's like, yeah. of, of all the people to, like, to, bring, to, like, to have that kind of conversation with, Rupert Everett, he should talk about it a lot. Because it's be disgusting. Yeah, it's disgusting you know? the kind of um, the the bigotry he has suffered as an actor because of it. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. It's it's yeah. Oh, fuck. Yeah. So I, what what do I do? So actually, what I do is I'm I watch anime. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah. So that's what I do in the morning. <laughs> the anime avatars, the anime tankies, they'll get you eventually. Um, yeah, they will. <laughs> um, right. So this hmm. week 
We put it off. We're going to talk about Europe. I don't want to talk and about Brexit Europe. and the all right. Well, podcast episode over. <laughs> done. See you next week. <laughs> um, we're going to talk about the EU, Europe, and Brexit. It's worth checking in with this every now and again. Well, it's important it for us to, to it, it's important for us to do, to do our long form piece on Russia and conspiracies. Yes, I need to talk about how Aaron Banks had an email. He did. Um, he had a cup of tea with the reverse vampires. Yeah, he associated with other people of his class. Station and general political outlook. Did you know that Aaron Banks' what might wife be is Russian? A meeting. Aaron Banks' wife is Russian. <laughs> oh my god! And therefore shares a hive, brain, a hive mind with the rest of the Russians. Um, I'm not going to talk about that. Oh. I don't, don't give a shit about the Russia stuff. Like, no, I, it, I there's probably some. There's probably some reasonably cogent stuff there. I don't think it's I'm not worth digging through all of Eric Garland's mindworms to find out the nuggets <laughs> of truth. That's not a job for me. That's a job for these pathologists. <laughs> When he eventually dies. Speaking of pathology, yeah, what's happening this week with Brexit in Parliament? Oh my god! Um, all right. Oh, start oh, though with that yeah, brilliant yeah. David Davis thing. That the I've I've read the quote before hmm. of um David Davis at the garden party staring off into the distance, and someone asking him what's he doing, and he's just like, "I'm just gauging our defences in case of attack." I love David Davis. Total situational awareness. Unless he's doing a negotiation. <laughs> <laughs> the man's so good they named him twice. <laughs> God bless that man. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll get on to him in a sec. Okay. We've got, we've got stuff. Okay. Um, so where we are right now with Brexit, okay? I'm going to try and explain it. Some of it might be a bit boring, but I've managed to cut most of the boring stuff out, and I think I've got a good bead on it. Okay. Right. So we're currently in phase two negotiations. Mm-hmm. So this started in uh, December. This was after they'd agreed on the terms of the exit. They started uh, trying to work out what the nature of the UK and the EU's um, future relationship would be. So it's like the important stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the terms of separation were not fully <laughs> fleshed out even no. at the end of phase one. These are all like very advisory words. These are very temporary, transient mm. terms yeah. um, that they use. Um so, in her Florence speech back in September, Theresa May said she wanted a transitional period um, of about two years after they left the EU, but so that nothing would change. Um, so she could definitely be out the door So she could definitely, yeah, uh, re- retire, mm. resign, retire with some... Gra- there's, no, there's no graceful retirement for Not her. Not for her, no. Weirdly enough, harking back to our Cameron thing, it's like, wow... You managed to get lump- Theresa May managed to get lumped with all the sins of David Cameron and Theresa May. Yes, <laughs> fantastic. It's a savvy political operator. Um, on the nineteenth of March, the transition period was agreed, um, but can't be considered legally binding until after the ratification of a wider agreement on withdrawal. Mm-hmm. So, as the EU put it, nothing is agreed upon until everything is agreed upon. Yep. So all of this could change, mm-hmm. which makes talking about it awesome. Yeah. Um, on the by the fourth of May, they'd come up with a broad framework for discussion topics. So the British government released a PDF with it's one page. It's just you know security, agriculture, um, farming, security, uh, agriculture, farming, the same thing. But you know, yeah. Um, the uh, agreement on transition will also require the approval of the European Parliament. Um, and the head of the largest political group in the European Parliament said he doesn't think the EU should do a transition deal and still he's seen more progress in the second phase of talks. This, yeah. So despite all those problems, both sides 
um, are clear that they would need a, a, a treaty and on, on withdrawal, and that it's going to be ready by about October. Yeah, <laughs> I totally believe that. Four months. Okay, four months. Interesting. Okay, so I had this um, last week. Yeah, um, going to Lily's college to have a talk about university applications. Yeah, and all that kind of stuff. Um, we have to get Lily's applications off to university mm-hmm. um, before then, before October. Yeah. It is daunting. It's going to be a lot of work and a lot of stress. And I've got a sneaking suspicion that withdrawing from the EU is going to be a bit more complicated than that. Like, it's... Yeah. That's a lot of stuff to do. It's a huge amount of stuff to do. It's arguably too much stuff to do. Yeah. Um, Yeah, they haven't had anything come out at the moment in terms of actual detailed... Hmm like plans about what the hell it's going to look like because Theresa May can't get the Tories on side no. she can't get you know uh, any 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 serious stakeholders cannot get on side and no. she can't, she's she doesn't appear to be making any promises but she has kind of made implicit promises to a lot of like business elites and I think she's probably made, I think she's and, probably made huge amounts of promises in absolute secret yeah oh uh, that's the and other she's probably made well. really contradictory promises to people um Absolutely, like apparently the Brexit uh, preparations within Whitehall are so secret they've got like um, top level clearance for all of the documents. Mm. They've got a special Brexit reading room. Oh yeah, they've set off like Brexit reading rooms where they can read the the policy proposals and things like that. They're they're keeping it all really under wraps. Um, The risk for both sides is that if they fail to reach any deal, um, they'll have a what they call it like a cliffhead cliff-edge Brexit mm. or a, a no-deal scenario where Britain simply ceases to be a member um, of the EU on March 30th, 2019. And our planes stop working. Uh, yeah. Uh, that not means, stop working, like well, they I mean, fall out of the sky. It means but... essentially it will just be legal limbo. There'll be no law. Yeah. No law! <laughs> um, to be fair, the EU don't want that because do they want all those angry, sunburnt, drunk-on-sangria Brexiters in Spain to lose their minds and start smashing up golf courses? Because they will smash up those golf courses, the nearest ones. I one don't know. One re- nearest golf course. I reckon, considering the like the way that they've responded with migrants, I think they probably, <laughs> they probably hardened up to that idea. You know, of treating. I human, think you'll find human bodies that there in is a disposable. There is absolutely disposable way. No tougher human being in existence mm-hmm. than the British, well, English baby boomer who thinks right is on his side. They have fought in no wars, they have <laughs> suffered no hardship, and they are willing to kill. <laughs> it's a new version of Death Wish. <laughs> new version of Battle Royale. <laughs> Battle Royale in Benidorm. <laughs> That's the plan. <laughs> the last one gets a passport. <laughs> I like a shiny blue one. But it'll be slightly the wrong tone of bloom or they'll put another jacket over the top of it to make it maroon (laughs) Um, the most recent kind of sticking points of the talks has been the Northern Irish border Mm -hmm. Um, they this week they agreed to um, a backstop plan which was something that Theresa May um, agreed like a default position it would prevent a hard border in Northern Ireland between Northern Ireland and uh, the Republic, yeah. if a trade deal was not reached before Britain leaves the Union next year. 
it would mean that EU regulations on food and services would apply in Northern Ireland while a trade deal was being negotiated, so customs checks wouldn't be needed along the border. She agreed on this um, in mm. principle last year, yeah. but has had a horrific inter-Tory fight in yeah. the government to actually actually get it um, get it in place. Yeah. Uh, I saw the um, was it the Boris Johnson thing of um, when he was talking about the boundary between Camden and Islington. Yeah. Um, and like because of was it congestion charge? Mm. It's like we were able to do that perfectly fine. That was perfectly fine, and. Uh, either it's a either weird forgotten, fake, yeah, or they just couldn't give less of a shit. It's a weird fake, about what Ireland is like. It's a, it's a weird fake parochialism as well because yeah. it's assuming that oh, it's just the same as you know down down in the south of Buckinghamshire on my father's farm, mm. we had a dispute with a neighbour who were about us putting up a wall, mm. and we just resolved it like you would anything else, and it's like. All these people have like those family, like Boris definitely mm. like, has those family estates and like mm. uses those examples or uses examples of like when he was London mayor mm. of like ah simple solution to simple problems and it's like a cable car between Dublin and Belfast <laughs> <laughs> sponsored by the United Arab Emirates. Yes, and it's like you know that these international treaties are way more than that. You know that you know the. You'd hope that the foreign secretary would know that. I can't guarantee. No, because nothing he said. I just have to make an assumption about what's in his soul. Yeah, which, I, to be honest, I have to do a lot with him. <laughs> um. <laughs> yeah, the the Irish stuff is like we've talked about it before. It's just getting, it's getting worse and worse. How how much Brexiters and Remainers don't seem to understand anything about Irish politics. And a year and a bit ago. When it all happened, mm. when the vote happened, they could be forgiven for not knowing. Yeah. But now, they really do should know by now. It speaks to um, like what I've been thinking. I've been thinking about Brexit this week, especially for this podcast, mm. because I try not to think about it too much the rest mm-hmm. of the time. But it it speaks to what everybody so far, Remainers and Leavers, have been treating this as since the vote, which is the opening stages of a culture war, mm. in which. Ireland or French cheese or holidays are simply like cultural markers mm. that work that mark out what side you are. Whenever the Guardian or whoever do like a big thing on the new political split that's dividing Britain, it's like it's not really political. Mm. It's cultural. Like leavers and remainers on both sides, are capitalists want a free market system. Yeah. They're just maybe disagreeing on the best way of getting there. Mm. They both want that same horrible destination. Yeah. They wouldn't be, or certainly uh, Remainers wouldn't be opposed to mm. that kind of destination. Mm. And yeah, the, the Northern Irish border, like there was a, a letter from um, the uh, campaign manager of Vote Leave, Dominic Cummings, mm. um, that he published and he sent to a load of MPs, where he does just kind of laugh the, the whole Good Friday agreement off. Mm. And it's like, oh, it was never a barrier. You know, it just doesn't matter. It's just another one of those pieces of paper. And it's like, you know what? Yeah, you're right. In summation, it is a piece of paper. It's not that legally binding. It's a set of advisory uh, uh, things Mm. that whereby that people signed up to in order to stop the violence. Mm. It's like, that doesn't mean it means nothing. Mm. It means something to those people because and as temporary a political framework as it was, it has preserved that particular way of being for you know 20 years yeah it's it's so stupid and like the idea of like a backstop 
they want a backstop so that everything and I mean I think this doesn't just apply to Northern Ireland I think this applies to like EU as a whole mm. they want a backstop so that they can negotiate the treaty while not being in the EU and while um, so like she's trying to appease leavers by saying we're not in the EU anymore mm. appease remainers by saying we'll still be doing the same stuff yeah. but then also work out the trade deals which like trade deals take decades mm. like the the original like gap treaties and the wto mm. treaties took like they were not finalized until the 80s mm. from after the war mm. and all of the stuff that went along with that all needed revision all that kind of stuff and like the basic like problem with it take it like the reason why she, again she's being pulled in two directions because these trade deals take ages but also she needs to get it done as quickly as possible because if she does crash out and I've heard leavers talk about this a bit, that they go back to WTO rules, mm. which means that um, the EU, if the UK's not in the EU, and it doesn't have another relationship with it, WTO rules mean you're not allowed to give sweetheart deals to particular mm. countries that aren't offered to everybody. Mm. So, so, like, the EU has a special relationship with uh, South Korea. Mm. Um, if it gives a better deal to Britain, Korea would legally, mm. legally, in that sense of the word, in, in terms of international law be able to ask for those same yeah. deals yeah it's it's ridiculous no china and russia and brazil could all come and ask like well why aren't we getting this deal and um, you know they've got bigger bigger economies than us yeah well, not russia but yeah china does <laughs> um yeah like and also people <laughs> care more about south korean electronics than you know the latest re re-release of the sinclair cx the latest release. Yeah, that's what we're going to start doing. That's my new plan. Kickstarter. My plan for the Brexit, my um, the Brexit economy. We're going to bring back Sinclair Spectrum. <laughs> Did it, I've got a question. We were talking yes. about this the other day. The Sinclair mm. CX, if you don't know, was a form of one person, like it was like a one person kind of tricycle. It was, tr- it was an electric tricycle that yeah. went that went like ten mile an hour. That's yes. what I was going to ask. It was electric powered, right? Yes, it was. So it's like a kind of Elon Musky. Oh yeah, if um, of, if Sinclair was around, was like successful now, mm. like. He'd be like Elon Musk, making flamethrowers and giving them to Mike Sadovich. <laughs> Do you see that? Yeah, I yeah. saw that. But um, yeah, that's my plan. I'm gonna I did bring... see on Twitter they just responded with a load of car of uh, Teslas on fire, self <laughs> driving Teslas on fire on motorways. <laughs> but um, no, that's my plan. It's um, Spectrums or the Dragon Thirty Two X. Oh, yeah. my new favorite console. <laughs> but anyway, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> just get into what we've been talking about anyway. <laughs> Dragon Thirty Two X is a great console. It's the worst console that has ever made. I think. <laughs> um, the TSOC Leo Varadkar uh, insists insist that the backstop agreement on the Northern Irish border which he agreed to shouldn't be time limited and should be all weather so yeah. m- meaning it must apply to any circumstances which could result in a hard border hmm. so essentially a negotiating tactic to there will never be a hard border hmm. um, this led into like the latest spat of Tory rebellions which they've actually only resolved today um, David Davis reportedly threatened to resign over the proposal um, but then, you know, he threatened to resign from his seat when, uh, you know, they brought his tea too cold. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, he threatened to resign uh, from his family uh, when they demanded he do the washing up. They... <laughs> he loves resigning. It's his greatest strength. He must have no security deposit left. <laughs> loves resigning, he does. Just loves it. Um, and then last week, a recording emerged of um, Boris Johnson speaking at a private Conservative Party function. Um, he dismissed fears over a return of a hard border in Northern Ireland as pure millennium bug stuff. Yeah. Uh, and did he say that um, it was that Ireland was like the tail wagging the dog? Mm-hmm. 
That's nice. Yeah. Again, it's just a, just a you know. Of course, he would have that attitude because this is a culture war. Yeah. You know, it's not it's not anything that has to be backed up by any particular policy proposal because mm. he'll still treat. If he were prime minister, he would treat Ireland in exactly the same way as Theresa May does. Mm. But it's like it's a cultural indication of what side he's on. He gave this talk to a very Thatcherite. I think it's way forward. Um, yeah, uh, which is a conservative like Thatcherite pressure group. Always got terrible um, fucking names. And it's like, yeah, of course, because you're the empire guy. You're yeah. the you're the back to the bumbling empire mm. like guy. That's that's your thing. And that's yeah. a culture war. That is a culture war mm. posture. It doesn't it doesn't like you can talk about stupidity all day long. He can run a department, he can run it badly, and he can run it yeah. immorally, and he can run it do bad things with it. Mm. But ultimately all of his outward like gesturing and all his fumbling is a is a, a culture war thing. Yeah, he's, yeah. he's positioning himself in a certain way. Um, he also said the Northern Irish border is so small and there are so few firms that actually use that border regularly it's just beyond belief that yeah we're allowing the tail to wag the dog in this way we're allowing the whole of our agenda to be dictated by this folly the thing is it's not even about with with Ireland it's so not even about trade because it's not about like whether the British society could survive without Tato Crisps it's I don't know it can't yeah (laughs) it really can't um, those cheap pubs have got to find their their chips from some their crisps from somewhere. Yeah, um, but no, it's 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 literal lives. Yeah, it's just it's people, it's it's families being separated. It's tearing down extensions of houses. Yeah, which people that's the thing that always gets me. That of course there's extensions of houses that go past that go over the border. Yeah, and of course no Tory gives a toss about that, and that's the kind of thing that will make people very angry. Yeah, it's. It's so it's so strange, and it's just a like lack of seriousness about yeah. it. The actual EU withdrawal bill, mm. um, the one that uh, we'll have to get sign off on, um, is to re- this is this is the section where Theresa May tries to square off Parliament and mm. Westminster generally uh, on whatever plan she has. Yeah, um, it's been going back and forth between the House of Lords, who I think tend to be a little more Remain, yeah, um, because they're frankly probably more committed to the socio-economic system as it exists. Yes, if, if you can say anything about uh, <coughs> unelected House of Lords, they like stability. <laughs> well, in what way were they going to ever say that they'd like to do any... Like, even if I, like, if I was in favour of Brexit and all that stuff. Yeah, like, yeah. Like, well, in what, way would, in what way would they ever be in favour of any radical choice of anything ever? <laughs> I imagine they have numerous times voted down changes of the menu at the, like, at the bar. <laughs> Like, they changed the guest ales one time, and they all lost their shit. No, it's wrong. That's a winter ale. <laughs> yes. I bet you that has been send said. Send it to me in June. That has been send said. Send it back. But they can only send it back three times, and then they have to approve it. <laughs> because Lloyd George once got a winter ale in summer. But that, <laughs> anyway. that thing, that, that is a winter ale, has been shouted loudly so many times in the house of whichever bar that the lords drink in because they drink it in a different bar don't they they do I think yeah because they have a different outside area where they can't mix it's so stupid that has been said so many times though I bet you it's too heavy it's too hot yeah (laughs) can't expect me to drink a porter 28 degrees what the fuck are you thinking about (laughs) yeah they say it like that yeah they say it like that yeah um, so it's the main, most of the amendments um, which yeah. actually have been voted on in Parliament today. Yeah. Um, 
Most of them are about restraining the government's ability to just get stuff through mm. on the fly. Mm-hmm. So I think it was one of our early episodes we talked about the, the Great Reform Bill mm-hmm. um, and all of the things that it would allow the government to do with secondary legislation, so EU law that's mm. gone, that gets transposed into uh, UK law. And powers that the devolved parliaments had that they've given to the EU that are now going back to the... Uh, Back to Westminster. Yeah, which they got a grand total of 10 minutes to debate at the end of everything today, which was the last piece of news that I caught up on. Fantastic. Um, well, you know, oh, and the oh, and uh, it, uh, the Welsh uh, yeah. government has agreed to it. Well, of course they would. Uh, the SNP hasn't agreed to it because they don't have any people in the House of Lords and so haven't been able to table any amendments. Fuck me. But the thing is, te- like when we did our thing about the Celtic nations, yeah. I reckon you could easily sum up everything to do with the rights and powers of the devolved governments coming back from in, yeah. from Europe with three minutes apiece <laughs> for like Northern Ireland, Scotland and Wales. Easy peasy. <laughs> the main one that they were voting on today hmm. was uh, what they called the Meaningful Vote Amendment. It was a clause that says that Parliament has to approve the withdrawal, agreement and transitional member- measures in an Act of Parliament and, if possible, before the European Parliament has debated and voted. So... Mm-hmm. Britain agrees, but then they have to hope that the EU agrees yeah. to get a complete a complete deal. I do love this like the recurring thing with um, making a deal with, with the EU. It's because it has to be kind of unanimous. It's fucking and it's like I know it's a bit trite, but if you see Eurovision, <laughs> yeah, we don't have oh, no. many friends. It's it's fucking madness because we're horrible. Yeah, it, I mean I don't even think even if we were a country that nobody really cared about. Mm. Well, um, yeah, because of course they wouldn't want us getting special treatment. Because every, well, everybody also has not only different relationships, but different fucking interests. Mm. And like, it was something I was thinking about today, actually, when I was trying to like sum up mm. where we are with these negotiations. Like, the whole political and constitutional like framework of Brexit, the act of Brexit, requires a state builder. Mm. Like, in that, in that old, in, I suppose, old-fashioned sense... Mm that most states were built, a polity that is kind of vaguely united or at least has enough of a cross-caste coalition within itself to make it happen, that is mm. confident enough to make it happen and that has an actual direction. Yeah. Um, hard Brexiteers kind of pretend like it's an act of will. Yeah. Um, and they're pretending that they could just brute force... If they were in charge, they could just brute force it. But, like, the kind of thing I'm talking about is, like, 1945... The creation of a welfare state, the creation of the NHS, that requires like political goodwill, um, uh, class cooperation, that kind of thing. And that was and hard a, work. And a, a huge amount of work. Hmm. Yeah. Um, and it's like it just it just adds to my feeling that like modern politicians generally they just don't they don't have that partially because neoliberalism relieved them of the ability to mm. actually make any decisions mm. when they gave all they those decisions they very quickly gave that responsibility yeah. they gave it over to the markets mm. and what you end up with is like there's a load of lawyers but ultimately there's a load of like party planners mm. there's a load of PR people who mm. are very good at saying like it's why they wanted it's why they kicked up such a fuss about Brexit Day and mm. them having a national celebration. Mm. And like Jacob Rees-Mogg goes on, oh, he's, he's a very intelligent man. And he's like, no, I want, uh, I want Spitfires mm-hmm. going over Westminster at 3pm. I'd like the Furious Union Jack. Furious about the arrangement of the Let balloons me. because the red, white and blue looks too much like the French flag. Yeah, it's that kind of shit. It's like, well, that's so weird. Mm. That's so like, um, 
it's such a weird thing, a weird and delicate thing to be concerned with when you're yeah. meant to be getting into the nitty really gritty into of it. building a state. Yeah, and like you remember how we like got into this mess? Mm. It was because the Tory party couldn't reconcile one wing of the party mm. with another, and so they decided to displace that onto the country as a whole, and then resolve their tensions that way. And it it hasn't. It no. hasn't resolved. The hard Brexiteers are oh, God, like no. more isolated from the centre and from the Liberal wing of the party than they've ever been. Yeah. Um, and like the difficulty with uh, with May is that she's the Brexiteers aren't just leavers; mm. they're also the hardest free marketeers. They're mm. also the hard wing of her party. Like you think about back in the day, like uh, Margaret Thatcher, like the the real kind of psychopath she would have. Um, brought in to crack political nuts, mm. like to use that expression. They were they were Brexiteers. They were yeah. the anti EU, the pro imperial, the old bastards, mm. the bastards. Yeah. Um, the ones that a hundred years before would have been brutally ruling small colonies. Yeah, and you think about the way that like the last kind of big shift that was actually done by a politician, the last realignment of. British political life and like economic goals and social goals and things like that was probably under th- was probably under Thatcher, right? Yeah. When she uh, made again made those cross class alliances, she got a good portion of the kind of elevated working class yeah. who'd become like lower middle class yeah. um, and who had something to lose, so she could tailor her message to security and mm. things like that. She brought in like bits of the old aristocracy. Um, and upper middle class and she could pitch theoretically pitch that message to everybody people make out like Thatcher was like this bruiser who really forced everything through and it's like she forced it through with like uh, uh, like the agreement of these groups they voted for her they actively enjoyed and liked her message because it would benefit them Um, but even that there's a lot still left over from like Britain pre-Thatcher that was there post-Thatcher you know um and you think about like like I said, like the act of Brexit, like an, an institutional, constitutional change that's so profound that it would affect every little bit of, mm. of like your life, of, of the life of the country and, and society and everything. Most countries like who've undergone that change, like I could think of like three vague, very broad classes of country, like you'd have your decolonized country where they have a political leadership made up of people who fought in an anti like an, an independent struggle. Yeah. Um, you have ex-communist countries who had like a kind of kleptocracy of ex-communist uh, bureaucrats mm. who'd taken over control of the economy. So that's their consensus. That's mm. how they got to put their politics through. And the other one is you can think of a European country mostly destroyed by war who'd had their previous ruling class executed by the Nazis. Yeah. In every case, it took a huge catastrophic event mm. to wipe away what had been there before yeah. in order for them to... Sorry. In order... <laughs> in order for them to reinstitute something yeah. new. Britain is like the longest running, like modern in, in inverted commas, like industrial yeah. country. It was the first industrial country. It was the one that urbanized the most. Mm. It was the one that like got to that stage of modernity first. Mm. And it hasn't had almost any, like a lot of that has changed, but not much of the actual form of it has been swept away. And the changes have realistically been slow. Yeah. Who owns what? And who is ruled by whom hmm. has not changed significantly. Oh no! You know, um, probably since the Great Reform Act, hmm. like eighteen sixty 
Tories mm. when they started extending the mandate, like the vote, mm. to people, which is like, that's a huge thing because that changes who has political mm. power. Nothing like that has happened, like, no. in a hundred years. Mm. And the last, like I say, the last big kind of class shift was Thatcher when she brought in a load of, like, uh, like lower middle class people and started um, families and things like that and started... Um, positioning them as you know they're the real british people mm. you know they are the ones mm. who ho- who should hold power like the shopkeepers the, yeah the silent minority all that kind of rhetoric empowers a certain class within britain yeah and make that makes that class aware of its of its own power the daily mail the sun appeals to that kind of stuff mm. um and now you transpose that onto now right so mm. thatcher puts together this class this class coalition of people and it's persisted blair kind of picked up that mantle where mm. Thatcher left off and he tailored his policies to appeal to that class coalition so he could claim it for himself, which he had more or less success doing. Now you come to May and you think about the promises, like you said, mm. the promises she has to make to each of those different power positions mm. within Britain, those class positions within Britain. She, you know, she has to promise stuff to like multinational business elites, like regional kind of outside of London, like medium-sized business mm. business owners. Um, Weather's boots. Yeah. Um, she has to promise stuff to small business owners who are distinct from, obviously, the working mm. class and other lower middle class people who work for those who they the Tories may have counted as like their supporters in mm. the past. Um, she has to make promises to Tory councils to make mm. sure that... I'm sure she doesn't give a shit about Labour councils, mm. but she has to make promises to Tory councils that they're not going to be forced to... Create such cuts because you know. Well, that's that thing that happened in Sydney. <coughs> cuts have fallen like on late on inner of, city areas and like urban a year areas. or so ago with the um, that Tory council that they bribed. Hmm. That they gave a load of money. They tried to give money to in secret. Yeah, Is that right? yeah. It was a, yeah, it was a, but you know, uh, she'll be doing more of that. Um, she's got promises. She's got to keep to retirees as she mm. learned so <laughs> so hard in the last election. Mm. She can't touch the retirees. She's also got to demonstrate like. A path for the future, so she's got to make a promise to young voters, mm. to young entrepreneurs. Yeah, you know, and she can't just rely on what's it the James Clever <coughs> thing of you just need to explain to her that socialism's bad. Yeah, and it's like one look at Kim Jong Un and his jinkos, and that all of his lies are going to fall apart. Yeah, now that's like the class coalition. She's then got to square it with the Tory party, mm. who the two wings want two fundamentally different things. Yeah, even the ones who want a soft Brexit and a hard Brexit will not allow the other thing to happen. Mm. Um. You know, you've got the hard Brexit, full sovereignty Tories, and the Remain is best for business Tories. Both Tories in their own way. Mm. Um, as we mentioned, you've got the Scottish and Welsh parliaments. Um, she's committed, or kind of retroactively committed, to the idea of devolution. She can't take it back, mm. so she's got to reckon with those. That's another power block. And that's before you even bring in the international groups. Mm-hmm. So, like, uh, like Ireland, obviously. Yeah. The US, who mm. doesn't... Appear, I mean, again, like... I think Trump probably recognises this as like a culture war mm. thing and he's reacting as he would yeah. with his links with Farage and everything. But like China. Mm. China probably <laughs> doesn't want them to leave the EU but ultimately couldn't give a shit either way. Well, no. I don't um, think they care that much. Uh, there's the Commonwealth. Mm. Any any kind of Commonwealth things. This is going to be The relationship with them is going to be changed. Multinational organisations like the African Union, uh, fucking NATO, mm. anything like that, the United Nations. This is going to change the relationship and the way that power works between Britain and those those places. And then that's not even before you get to the EU, mm. 
with all of its different members. And she's got to do all that with she's a got to slim do, majority. She's got to do all that with a slim majority, and she doesn't have any kind of like hegemonic force behind yeah. her. There's nothing about her that suggests, her or her government, that suggests that she is the one who should be in charge. Mm. There's no explanatory power, there's no discourse behind what she's doing that ha- gives any explanation as to why mm. she's in there. She's in there because she was a compromised candidate who then came very, very close to losing an election to a socialist. Yeah. Like, she doesn't... It's like they've transposed a second, like, permanent election Mm. over the top of the normal politics, of Mm. the normal, like, electoral cycles. And she couldn't please people in the main politics cycle, the main cycle Mm. between elections. And now she's got to do the same thing with slightly different... Uh, alignments of those same people so the people you can please in a general election that Thatcher and Blair managed to do she's now got to do that with the EU deal and Brexit hanging over her Yeah. who and you know if somebody votes Tory because say they're like a small business owner they're a Tory um, you could say cutting taxes would be fine but also you're going to have to raise taxes because it's going to cost more for Brexit Yeah. so you've then got those two things in opposition even down to micro segments of the population Mm. She's got the um, Remainers, for all that we bitch about them, have huge cultural power. Mm. So she'll face an eternal bitching out from, you know, the New Statesman, every liberal publication, universities, things like that. There's like a huge chunk of small business owners who rely on the importation of widgets and gizmos Mm. that that she can't make happy. Mm. Like the ideal thing, I suppose, would be the thing that every kind of free marketer wants, which is to become Singapore, Mm. like high tech economy there's no way she can promise that with this and that's the thing i'm not like i'm not even very pro i'm probably just about pro remain mm. um just due to living standards and and the things that they will do to us when they get us on their own yeah but also i mean the eu kind of did that also yeah <laughs> you know it's it could explain like i think like thinking about it in those terms thinking about in terms of the kind of how a government get support for the things it wants to do like also explains why remain is having such a hard time mm. they try and set up parties um they try and set up new parties now they are pathetic they are <laughs> utterly pathetic and they they are jokes worthy they are um, jokes all no, the first two were jokes and now it's just sad mm. now it just makes me just very I sad i did see renew britain arguing with each other on twitter the other day oh. It was, oh, apparently, uh, I can't remember, they started briefing against each other, like UKIP. Like UKIP did and still do. They started briefing against each other. But instead of like... And calling press conferences that nobody goes to. But instead of waiting to do like a press conference after the, what was it, after the darts that that Bolton did? Oh, yeah, yeah, after the darts. um, It'll be, because they're like, you know, weird fuppies, it'll be like after a highlight tournament or something stupid. After they uh, design a Remain football shirt, because you know the World Cup's coming up. That's the kind of thing I could see him doing. But, like, this is why it's so difficult for them, especially now, to set up a new political party. Because while they can set up a political party under the rules of normal politics, you form a party, you try and get MPs, you fight an election, all that kind of stuff on issues, she's transposed, May has transposed another permanent election cycle, Mm. which, again, Remain have to appeal to on top of that yeah so of course they're just operating in the perma brexit election the layer over the top of it and at the layer down the bottom 
that's where they've actually got to get elected. And it's it's impossible. Yeah. You cannot even get people... Like, they're splitting up so quickly because you can't even get people to agree yeah. on what they should actually go for. Mm. As opposed... I mean, and we haven't mentioned Labour yet, but also that is the problem with Labour. Mm. The people who would support Jeremy Corbyn, who might be, like, maybe, like, left liberals, mm. who are so invested in this idea of Remain, who've, you know, lost their minds or fully mm. got invested in this culture war... Um, now feel the need to associate with others like themselves and go really anti-Corbyn. Mm. So, like, it's a it is a problem for everybody. Mm. Like, it's a huge problem. So, let's look at you know one of the social blocks that is most benefiting from the new culture war, and that's uh, fuppies. Yep. The f- well, do they still use- don't call it a comeback because they won't fucking go away. <laughs> Did they, they won't do stop? They, do they still? Do they still have the? Hashtag FBPE. Um, they mostly have it in their avatars now. Um, to be honest, that may just me be me blocking out their messages because there's so many of them on Twitter mm-hmm. and they're so ubiquitous mm. that like I scan it and it goes, ha ha, there's another one. Ha ha, there's another one. There was that um, uh, Corbyn tweet the other day um, where he was expressing sympathy with the people who'd been killed in the Guatemalan volcano. Mm. And I started scrolling down. And yeah, we I talked was about like, this last week. Yeah, yeah of course. So just of course, so there's going to be like one or two fubbies because there always are. Mm. Um, and I just kept scrolling and scrolling and scrolling. And the same, it's the same, it's the t- same exact thing. If I, if I didn't know that Remainers were, or hard Remainers were so anti-bot, <laughs> they hate bots in everything. They won't drive like, uh, you know, cars. They suspect they. You know, suspect toasters of treachery. They still do Diablo um, to meth runs, like yeah. <laughs> they refuse to use trainers on Diablo. <laughs> <laughs> um, they're just if I don't know how many there can possibly be. I don't know what percentage of the vote the ones who constantly comment. Forty nine percent of the vote. The ones who constantly comment on every single single thing on Twitter. Yeah, anything done by anyone in the Labour Party who's on the who's not as pro Remain as them. Yeah, and like I was thinking about it, like thinking about them as a social movement because they talk amongst themselves. They talk about potential uh, opposition to Brexit, solutions mm. to Brexit, to stop Brexit happening, stop Brexit, stop Brexit now. Does it involve a Muse gig? <laughs> it involves or something like that. Several Muse gigs. Yeah. It's gonna. T- it's a big one. It's gonna take several Muse gigs. It would have worked, but they insisted that uh, nobody in the provinces could really understand Muse. <laughs> they tried to put it in leave areas, but they were just. They just didn't get it, man. They just didn't get what Matt Bellamy was trying to do when he was, you know, playing piano to a rock song. <laughs> I have to describe it like a forty-nine-year-old because that's what Muse is to me. Um, um, what is there like? What's the makeup and the ideology of any potential like Remain movement as mm. a solid political core that could tie people together? Mm. If you were making a Remain party, what would it be like? You know. Um, so you you take as your basis like everything was fine. Mm. Uh, there were a few tweaks to be made, but largely you super enjoyed life and were happy with politics and were happy to engage with politics in a not insane way. Mm. Um, up until you know June two thousand sixteen. You're Richard Osman. Uh, you are Richard Osman, yeah. He's waiting for a witty, kind centrist party. Mm. Um, and then, every, like, it was all done in the national interest up until then, and then everything was terrible. 
right? Mm. You can't trust half the country. Um, everybody else in the country, everybody else is an enemy. They're this boorish, guffawing, um, bovine, ignorant mass. Knuckle tattooed. Yep. All Sovereign rings. Every single one of them. Um, you know, like, they've tried the legal avenues. Mm. So, like, they keep challenging. I think there is... There are a couple of court cases, mm. but like that got down to the level of let's set up like legal challenges in parish councils, yeah, and yeah, stuff that like that. Funny. Just like endlessly replicating kind of very milk toast legal challenges that had no hope of succeeding because Parliament doesn't get legally challenged. Yeah, that often. Yeah, it it just doesn't. That's not how it works. Mm. Maybe that's their faith in what came before. Yeah. But it, you know, things don't change like that. Things change because a party well, it's wants the rules have always benefited them. Yeah. Um, like politically, like forming a new party doesn't seem to be a, a goer. No. They have to actually like appeal to leavers somehow, mm-hmm. and like address their concerns. Mm. So, well, that's not that's a non-starter. Yeah. Because um, why would they address the concerns of people that they think are? Little more than animals. Yeah, you fucking saw that. Um, did we mention it last week? The I think um, we mentioned it briefly. The TV it? repairman uh, lady. Thing. Lady. Um, yeah, she was horrible. Yeah, I didn't include anything because I don't think you would know who they were, even if I did say. Um, so she tweeted uh, a thing saying, "Enter my house, a Brexiteer, and leave a Remainer today." The TV repairman. Today, the TV repairman. Nobody explained any of that before the referendum, he exclaimed, as I explained. Customs, economy, how the EU works, etc. You're who I want as my Prime Minister, declared my newest Remainer. Brackets, TV now working. Didn't happen. It didn't happen, did it? No. I mean, aside from the very dodgy notion of a TV repairman... Well, yeah, what TVs Broadband get, engineer? What TVs get repaired now? Well, I mean, look, sometimes you need to Maybe get someone Maybe she needed her old CRT telly fixed because she wanted to play um, Pteridigma on her SNES. Yeah, you can't get the uh, the frame rate's not right. No, the inputs not. are just... It looks horrible. horrible. Yeah. Are you going to play Mario Kart 64 on a flat screen? No, that hurts the eyes. It does. And, you know, aside from this not happening, it's yeah. like a very patronising tone. <laughs> mm. The replies to her went way beyond patronising to actually, like, quite weird... No, offensive is too, like, light a word. It, like, sounded quite... hateful. I was horrified. <laughs> the class by hatred. Yeah. In the, so, somebody replies to her saying, hmm, now there's an idea. I took the alternative approach. I'm not employing you to work in my house if you seem, seem mm. to be a Brexiteer. Um, she responds, but if we don't talk to Brexiteers, we have no chance of converting them to remain. Take the view that their skills are different from yours and mine. I can't repair TVs or fit carpets or rehang doors, and they don't understand the EU until it is explained with examples. <laughs> Fucking hell. Yeah. That's like crazy Edwardian like classism. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah, no, it's, it, it made, that made me very angry. That whole conversation that those two people had. I recognised that he was a Brexiteer because I saw the calluses on his knuckles from <laughs> kneeling down on a, you know, like putting his foot, there, his, his fist down on a carpet. His hands were covered in, in the soil, covered in soil, and like those acid burns you get from picking hops. <laughs> um, she, yeah, she continued. 
I do understand that. Oh, the guy, sorry, continued. I do understand that point and I do occasionally try, but really I'm not very good at it. Mostly I'm just angry. It's okay not to understand. Truly it is. We shouldn't hate people because they are hard of understanding. Oh but there is God. a line to be drawn after which a sufficiently advanced level of incompetence is indistinguishable from malice. Put another way, it's not okay to be able to fly a plane, but break into the cockpit of a commercial flight and fly it into the ground, even if it's an accident and you're a cunt. It's okay not to be able to drive a car, but to have a few beers and steal a convertible and run over a child, and you're a cunt. It's okay not to be able to understand complex international treaties, but vote to make us all worse off on the basis of lies and bullshit, and you're a cunt. Like, aside from anything, like, obviously he doesn't credit any working class people hmm. with any intelligence beyond what they're told. Mm -hmm. But also, if you're saying you discredit someone uh, and saying that they're, like, they were lied to... Like, doesn't a lie have to be believed to be successful? Yeah. Like, you can tell a lie and believe it, but it's a lie. It's not the truth. Hmm. Like, from his own standards, it's like, no, they were just lied to. Hmm. And it's like, there's something deeper there that there's no sympathy. He blames them for falling for it. He, he blames them for making his life worse. Hmm. When, now I don't know this random Twitter as politics, but based on my experience with other Remainers, they haven't been, you know, that bothered about austerity for the last 10 years. No. They haven't been bothered about the kind of 120,000 people who've died. Mm. They've not been bothered about, you know, ATOS seminars and like mm -hmm. food banks and things like that. Or if they are, at least they gave mm. with a sympathetic heart. Mm. You know, nothing yeah. to actually make anybody's life better and would actively bitch about anything to make anybody's mm. life better. Again, I'm assuming it about this individual person, but I think it's a reasonable standard considering the responses of other FUBPs on, on Twitter anyway. Mm. Um, another line came up this week um, that I saw Graham Linehan using Don't and there was someone else yeah he's barred from this podcast he's going to be on here um, I, let's talk about him for a minute actually I blocked him on Twitter mm -hmm. um, last week um, I don't know why it took me so long um, but I and feel you never better. block people because like it's Twitter I don't, who, I don't really don't I, don't, I don't care don't, like, don't. To, to be honest there is literally nothing anyone can say to me that's going to upset me that much I'm pretty like Secure and together is not the right word. You're not gonna. You're not gonna. I'm. I went through a fucking grammar school. Yeah. I can deal with people calling me a cunt and anything yeah. like that. I can read horrible things. It's fine. I grew up on the internet. It's all good. But the sheer level of just the lies of Graham Linehan and to see the per, the person who like wrote, co-wrote, Father Ted, and things like that. Yeah. Be this horrible lying manipulative turf yeah and being i'm pretty convinced he is the worst turf he's because, been fucking vile yeah but not because of the things he says but because of his his position his position as supposed liberal he's justifying yeah a lot of this stuff because he is he's <clears throat> like in, in theory he's a progressive traditional labor voter he's you know he's he is he's that kind of, he's that kind yeah, of guy but he's saying the kind of things that are just appalling and have no place in any progressive like party. A, a, but a, he's given them given them more credence. Like a genocide. Like he was on the right side of Gamergate. So you know, it's like that kind of thing. Yeah, but it's it, it's what I heard someone called. I cannot remember who said it, but um, weaponized niceness. Yeah, because it's all when things are going their way, it's all like biscuits, tea, gin, the Royal Navy. Yeah, um, it's all that stuff. But then when it actually comes to something that you have a genuine disagreement about. Mm. Or something that where you should be listening, hmm. because he's a forty-something-year-old man hmm. who probably hasn't done learning, 
like nobody is nobody's ever done learning about new things and changing yeah. their mind and things like that um to use the kind of language about trans people that he used mm. of like you know it's like a what's it it's like a cronenberg film or yeah and then when someone said it, it's it's hardly it's, it's, it's um it was, yeah, it was about an operation that uh, gender reassignment surgery that someone had I think I think it was like a it was certainly a discussion that had a gender that, yeah. reassignment surgery and um, they said it was hardly um, it was hardly videodrome but he said no it's dead ringers and it's like oh, it's like you you sake. know in, and the thing is you know in, he knows in then enough about that to actually yeah. come up with that like zinger yeah but um, I, c- I can't deal with him anymore no. and um, he's and like, you, like I think despite everything despite all the stuff we say about liberals I certainly always hold out some hope and some misguided like idea that liberals are supposed to be the ones who can learn mm. and who are supposed to be the most open ones. Yeah, you are an idiot. I'm a total fucking idiot. Yeah, yeah I agree. I'm yeah. a total fucking idiot. Nothing about the last two years is that <laughs> the last two years should have fucking dispelled me of that notion. Yeah. But I'm you know, I'm of the attitude now that we take liberalism, the good things about liberalism, out of these people's hands. Because that's like there's a Zizek thing about it, and it's like the alliance between liberals and socialists. Mm. Um, now, in 2015, when he wrote it, and but now in 2018, um, is best served by socialists saying to liberals, the things that you actually value, that you're supposed to mm. value, they are best protected by socialists. Well, yeah, they are. Which they are. Mm. And like, yeah, I'm all in favour. Like, I, oh, it was horrible. I've never heard like they usually couch it because they have some cultural cachet that they have to maintain. Yeah. They have to maintain. He has to maintain being like the funny comedy soft science um, guy. Yeah, it upsets me. Knowing, the anti-religion guy. It upsets you know. me knowing the circles. He's never said anything like that about religion. No, and he's one of those well, no, atheist guys. He, he has never said anything like that. Yeah. So like, and you know, you can change a religion. It's mm. you could probably be much more horrible about religion. Because that's not something that's intrinsic to a person. Yes. You know, it might, it, not, for certain you, people, it might involve a lot of cultural changes, but it's still cultural changes and not, you know, internal, like, defining self definition. I can complain about papists and them being, you know, yeah. one step up from pagans. Hmm. Um, but you say that with love because you like pagans. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, well, they've ruined paganism. Hmm. Um, but it's, I'm not removing personhood from a Catholic. Yeah, and that's that's what he does, and um, ignores women all the time, just constantly if they disagree. All with that him. stuff that he said about the like the Irish abortion referendum I, as well, f- like, like it was like, oh, I didn't see any trans people out there, but I saw a lot of so-called turfs. It's like, what the fuck are you talking he's about? Just, he's disgusting. He's disgusting. And it, the thing that upsets me is I know the kind of circles that he moves in because they're the same kind of circles that my wife moves in, mm. and to think that there and that there probably are there are plenty of people who know that and agree with him, and it upsets me. Yeah. Um, I don't know any of them personally because me and my wife are like that. Yeah. So we wouldn't talk to them, or they would keep their opinions to themselves. Once you, yeah. Once but you. Um, and that's oh, I just hate him. He makes me so angry. And he's... It, it, it's because it's because like like I like black books. I liked Father Ted. Mm. I liked IT Crowd. Um, I thought IT Crowd was pretty good. Mm. I thought like he had a like a subtlety and a, a like a an appreciation of that medium and he was able to make me laugh and yeah his co-writers in in virtually everything like Father Ted Arthur Matthews yeah it's Father Ted um, Father Ted Arthur Matthews was the one that did most of that Hmm. Um, you can tell it more in black books because there's wild shifts in tone well that's because he was co-writing it with a man who was going through um I think I think Dylan Moran was going for a divorce at that point as well. Oh really? Um, yes. No, no, no. It wasn't just Dylan Moran's performance. It was like no, he was writing as well. 
Uh, he, yeah, a, I know, but right. like also like who he. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah so like FUBPs generally, like they've been. It seems like a very, a weirdly aggressive. Li- I mean, passive aggressive ultimately, mm. but a very aggressively defensive campaign because mm. I mean they're probably like I imagine as they're mostly liberals um, defending like usually liberals liberalism has a hegemony which mm. means it's present everywhere mm. but not necessarily in power mm. in control everywhere mm. so it doesn't dictate the messages but it can respond to the messages yeah. that are put out right yeah. and so they're more used I think they're f- probably far more used to asking for new things than they are in defending old things that was mm. certainly like the 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 like image that they that liberals like to put out there mm. you know um, but like, yeah, all their, all their stuff's coming out. Like most of them, like a, a kind of sense of persistent irritation, like, um, AC Grayling oh, yeah. is one of the, the top ones he has. I have no idea if he's like a good philosopher or anything. I know of him as a philosopher, mm. but I don't know anything he's done. Mm. Um, cause I'm not like, I'm not interested in that kind of, I'm not interested in philosophy unless it's fucking Shit. <laughs> Basically, I'm not going to waste my time reading AC Grayling when I'm still working my way through to lose. Exactly, I'm not. Gonna, I'm not going to read anybody who didn't try to set up a circus for um, to solve mental health problems. Yes, right. I'm just not going to do it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, his uh, he he tweeted uh, the other week. Um, uh, the referendum is void. Brexit is over. Government and Parliament must accept the full implications of the Electoral Commission's adjudication and the breach of the Venice Code by which the UK is bound. The like, Venice Code? I have no idea. I didn't bother to look it up. Oh, I was too basic. I was too busy, you know, looking at things like Brexit law that actually like will have an impact. <laughs> Rather than, I imagine, something to do with masquerade balls. <laughs> it's, uh... And, and, like, his whole thing at the minute is um, going at Corbyn. Because he says, oh, yeah. if the Tories were just on their own, then Brexit would fail. Yes. But it's Corbyn it <laughs> who's propping them up. Yes, it's like, he is, all the time. What the f- That's no, all Corbyn does. that's not true. All Corbyn cares about is maintaining a Tory government. <laughs> that's literally like, how he won... That's literally how he keeps on winning as becoming leader of the Labour Party, by promising to prop up the Tory government. <laughs> I mean, as we mentioned... I read like, that manifesto. It was wall to wall. I'm going to prop up the Tory government. It's time for a Tory government that cares. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, obviously, like, as like we mentioned in the last bit, like, Brexit adds a whole other layer of complication to any kind of attempt to have a political stance on things. Hmm. So you will find people with really weird stances. Yeah. Like, um, you know, all the old, like, uh, super, like, all the old super communist guys who yeah. may have had power or, or, you know, ended up in the, the Labour Party or something. Yeah. Like Frank Fields. Yeah. Uh, not, he's not a communist, but, like, uh, well, he might be a communist, I don't know. Um, Frank Fields, who's like the old like right wing Labour guy. Yeah. He was right wing even in like Blair's time, mm. and he's a super Leave guy, mm. which is weird because it doesn't match up with his support for Blair, but does match up with his support for a kind of memory what of what he thinks old left politics was that never came up 
while he was enthusiastically supporting Blair. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's a weird one. It is, yeah. it is a weird one, and it there's, will it will make people's politics weirder. It will force them to triangulate their own beliefs in their own heads. That's that weird thing. Like way more differently. One of the things that there's like the recurring thing is, and I saw Oz Katterji was getting annoyed at it. Mm-hmm. Um, it is they just want the status quo. They want it back. They want their status quo back, and it's really telling because the status quo wasn't working. For like huge sections of society, so no wonder they, you know. There's also a, an element. So like, how, how are you going to appeal to anyone? How are you going to make anyone happy when even huge chunks of Remainers weren't ha- leading happy, good lives? There's like a common um, thread that I find with a lot of English politics, mm. British politics, I suppose, Western politics, mm. where even liberal people, even socialists, sometimes cannot imagine themselves being in the position of the loser yeah it's not to say that they don't have sympathy Mm. it's not to say they don't have good ideas but somehow they cannot ever imagine themselves on the other divide Mm. on the other side of things so when a decision goes against you you accept not the decision itself but you do go for a period of like mourning yeah i'm sure like um, richard seymour writes on this all the yeah. time, like about like the psychology of like mourning and mm. and like he set up like when he left the SWP, he set up that whole salvage thing, which was mm. like its kind of editorial slant was I'm in mourning for mm. the left. Mm. This was just before Corbyn; it was really bad timing. Yeah, but he set up that whole thing, and it's like I'm going to we're going to learn out how to work through melancholy and mourning for political ideals that we hold, but we do not believe are ever going to be realised mm. because we lose so many fucking times mm. and. I think left-wingers who've accepted Brexit, although they don't like it, I think have probably worked out a way through their mourning period Mm. by now. Mm. Um, And, uh, to be fair, probably would accept a second referendum or probably would accept a reversal of Brexit under circumstances. But that's not the focus of where they are politically. That's not Mm. going to be the focus of their political activity. Because I think, even instinctually, they recognise what a non-starter that is. Mm. Like, you have to work within this framework now, because and they're used to that because they've been working within constricted discourses and uh, media for so long mm. that it's natural. Yeah, it's natural working, to us. Working in a situation it? where we're not winning anyway. No. Yeah. We're used to going into places and talking about things that people say are a bit too... You know, we're really on the edge. Mm. We're really whizzing there on our skateboards and fucking <laughs> blow all their minds. But you know what I mean. Like, yeah. You walk and you talk to like a person who doesn't follow politics or has a kind of vaguely liberal, passive liberal position, mm. and they'll go, oh, yeah, very interesting. And that will never go anywhere. You will no. not be able to convince that person. Yeah. And it's fine. We accept that because mm. we've had to live within those strictures all our lives. These people have always had someone who agreed with them and always some tiny little hope that what they want is what they're going to get. And for the first time, and in a huge way, they're not getting that. Mm. They're not getting that at all. And it's not going to change. It is going to leave the EU, and it's probably going to be horrible. Mm -hmm. And The only way to make a good thing of it is with more Tories. Yeah. You know what? If Corbyn gets into power, you know, maybe a fresh start in the EU negotiations, maybe you do get that soft Brexit that you want. I think Mm. you probably would. Mm. And I think nobody would bitch at um, Corbyn because 
the leave leave vote while it's re like the hardcore leave vote within Labour, I imagine isn't as hard as in the Tory party. Mm-hmm. It's not been a, a pillar of their politics. It's been an addition to their politics, yeah. like it was with Tony Benn. Yeah, you know, and um, old Labour. Mm. But I think you could prob he could probably like a Corbyn government could square it better mm-hmm. than the Tories. Mm-hmm. Um, I just don't. I don't see how recycling these same old like little snipes, like if you find just the perfect bon mot, hmm. um, that suddenly, oh my God, I, it, like I can see it working in their heads. They think if they get the perfect reply or the perfect takedown hmm. or the perfect clap back hmm. to somebody on social media, on Twitter, they'll go viral and somehow this will change minds. Yeah. And I'm not going to say, oh, it's because they're all at dinner parties and, right. and you know, they rely on witticisms mm. or what they call witticisms um, to, like, get their political way. But I think there's an element of that. They're treating it and feeding and stoking a culture war. And people on both sides are treating Brexit as a culture war, but it's not. Mm. It absolutely isn't. This isn't like arguing over, like, a... a, a uh, pornography mm. in America in the 90s. Mm. This isn't that same kind of thing. These are not two cultural blocks lining up with no effect on the political and constitutional structure. This is literally, this is state making. Mm. And I don't know if anyone's really gotten on board with that or properly like no, iterated what, what just, this means. I just want to go back. And But they talk in such catastrophic language as mm. well. They talk about it in like you know, there will be piles of bodies in the streets. The same way that um, they talk conservatives about having to put in austerity. Yeah, that makes me angry. Oh, that fucking infuriates me. It's like, uh, like, and and the way that they talk about. Oh, but I can't believe you sold out the young generation. And it's like, where the fuck were you when they were cancelling the um, education maintenance allowance? Mm-hmm. Where were you when all the jobs went? Where were you when they were lying to you about how there was going to be like the gig economy and how it's so fucking good for everybody Mm. and low wage jobs that you use and patronize? Yeah, you know, whenever you go to a coffee shop because they get your fucking order wrong because they've got to be on to their next shift. Yeah, I I don't a a pure failure to adjustment adjust to the times. It's also why like the century. To be honest, it's why the centrist dad thing came along as well because Mm. that's an old fashioned. You're stereotyping them as old fashioned because within two years, those people have become old fashioned. Oh yeah, they have not adjusted to the the tempo or the spirit of the times. No, it's it's depressing because they're the ones with cultural power. Actually, if they used it properly, they could affect. Um, what they wanted to see in the world. It might not be everything I want to see, mm. but they could affect a lot, but they won't. Mm. You know, they'll just sit there like using micro amounts of their their cultural power, all of these like like screenwriters and TV writers well, and um, academics and stuff like that. It's one of the ones that always drives me insane is supposedly mm. everything that Corbyn is offering... Mm. James O'Brien should like. And James O'Brien is a minor radio host on a radio show. Yeah. He is, but he is the only... He's mid-morning matters guy, isn't he? He's, yeah, he's, is he? Yeah, he's yeah. 10 to 1. He's um, the Alan Partridge uh, yeah. set. But um, he is 
the only liberal voice on that entire radio station. Yeah. And he has a lot more... He could be using his power for more good than it is because he is so focused on his holidays. He says, he'll compl- One of the things he does, he complains yeah. about Brexit people being like forelock tugging at Rees Mogg. Mm. He's the same with people like Elon Musk. Mm. And that's the difference. That is literally the difference between Fubbies and Brexit. And frankly, if he was on a different show and if he had fashioned a different... Um, Persona for himself, he would be forelock tugging with Jacob Rees-Mogg as well. <laughs> I don't know if Jacob Rees-Mogg has ever been on his show, but I imagine when he does go on there... Jacob Rees-Mogg's got his own show on LBC. They had Aaron Banks on last week. Yeah. And that yesterday. If they were... On Farage's show. Yeah, of course they <laughs> Of course. <laughs> That's what he's like. He is like... Like, he, they are... Like, look, the right and leave, hmm. partially the reason why they seem so scary to these people is because they have somewhat of an actual political organisation. You know, taking the orders of Putin, (laughs) going to the polls, sticking a little box on the back that says, Brexit now, and uh, (laughs) manipulating all the polls and everything like that. But like, you know what? The right acts like that. The right has acted. That's how neoliberalism came in. Mm -hmm. Because they got together a load of fucking think tanks. They got together a load of economists. They got specific MPs in specific positions Mm. at certain times. And they put the right stuff in front of the Tory party that then became their vehicle. That's how that political change happens in a parliamentary way. And you know what the left does to influence politics? It goes on fucking strike. (laughs) Yeah? Yeah. It takes direct action. It takes all the panoply of industrial and uh, work to rule and strike action (laughs) that it can in order to get its way. And that's actual political power. (laughs) Outside of parliament, outside of bitching on the BBC, that's what you do if you want to change something. But these people are never going to take that risk. Yeah. You know, there is a way. There is a way forward for them if they were to come together mm. and form a party and whatever. Um, but they are not prepared to take the actual political action they would need to realise their goals. And it's why they're fucking useless. Mm-hmm. Useless people. Mm. Hate them. All right, so that's episode 58. Yeah. Yeah, that's us for this week. You can uh, subscribe to us on iTunes. You can follow us at WDTATW underscore podcast. You can follow me at BM Bergamot and follow Hugh at Tanner Smashing. And anything else? Um, well, the next couple of weeks, I'm going to be going around to university. So I'm going to be complaining about train fares. Awesome. And how horrible universities are. <laughs> you elite. Liberal elitist. <laughs> Classic Corbin, Corbin voter. Go taking my kid to look at schools. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm disgusted. <laughs> we'll right. look forward to that. Yeah. All right. Bye. 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 I love my country. Indeed I do. But all that war has made me blue. I like fighting. That's my name. But fighting am the least about the fighting game. When Mr. Hoover said to cut my...